Good morning, Village Church East. Welcome to Church Online. We're starting to get the hang of this. We're almost feeling like this is natural these days. Maybe you're not, but I'm starting to feel like that. My hair is growing long. I feel like a TV evangelist more and more every day. Uh, just kidding. That We're not going to get anywhere near that. But I, I did want to let you know that uh, we are continuing to be the church. Whether we're in a church building or we're gathered around our television or our computer screens, we are still doing ministry. You saw what we did with the Easter egg hunt, blessed so many different families that way. It was an amazing opportunity to reach out and serve. We're learning new ways to serve one another and new ways to serve our communities, new ways to serve around the globe. Uh, we'll be giving you an update on hope for Venezuela. We've been taking up an offering that would lead us up to Easter, and we've collected some money that will help them feed their neighborhoods out of this one particular church that we're involved with uh, down there, University Church, uh, Pastor Gustavo. We're so excited that we're going to be able to do that. Watch your emails. Watch your newsletter. We'll get that information out to you uh, as to how much we were able to raise to help them continue their ministry down in Venezuela, hopefully to, to continue their uh, food program at least for the next three months. Well, all of that is just uh, blessings that the Lord has given to us, even in the midst of this uh, new way of living for each one of us, our isolation moments. But hey, we're, we're glad that you're here. Uh, this is a great place to be. And if you're new with us, you're in good company. You should know that we've had a ton of new guests that have been joining us in different states, different uh, our own city, our own communities, as well as other countries. Hi, Mom. And uh, we're so glad that you're with us as well. Would you just sign in the chat area down below me on your screen? We would love to hear from you and use your real name uh, if you wouldn't mind, just first name only, so we know that you're there and we can greet you properly. I'm curious to, to see how we continue from here using our gifts. God has given us gifts as a church that we can use regardless of the circumstances we're in. This is not a new challenge for the church. The church has gone through these kind of challenges through all of history, trying to figure out how to be the church as culture changes and government changes and, and obstacles come into uh, the, the path of the church. And we have been figuring out some amazing ways to do that. The first century church constantly was trying to figure out how do we become the church? And so they were trying to find out their giftedness. What were they good at? What does it mean to be called? That brings us to our topic this morning, because these are questions that were asked by many churches in the New Testament. You could go to the book of Romans or Corinthians or even Ephesians, where we're going to be looking at this morning. And you could find people asking these questions. How can I use my gifts to to prosper, to grow, to thrive in the church? And what are my gifts? Ephesus was an amazing city. It actually was across the Aegean Sea from Athens. Um, it is what we, uh, what was known then as Asia Minor, what we know now as Turkey. There was two large roads that converged in uh, Ephesus, and these were the only two roads that went into Asia Minor. So all produce, all trading endeavors had to go through the city of Ephesus. It was a large city. Actually, it was known as the Second Rome because it was so large. There was a large diversity of people there, and the church in Ephesus was growing. People all around were trying to figure out, how is this church so prosperous in Ephesus? What were they doing that were causing that was able to cause this kind of growth in Ephesus? Uh, in Ephesians 1, not only were they growing numerically, but they were growing deep. 
Their faith was strong and their love was strong for each other and for the Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul writes to them in the book of Ephesians, he starts out in Ephesians 1 verse 15. He says, for this reason, because I've, now get this, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. So I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. How are they doing it? How is this church at Ephesus infiltrating their culture, a culture that was extremely diverse and that was full of obstacles for the church. Ephesian culture was very idolatrous. They had one big goddess there, and this this goddess was Artemis, not the same Artemis as the Greek huntress god, maybe where where, uh, Princess Diana comes from or Wonder Woman, as you might know. This was a different goddess, same name, but different goddess. She had a temple that was known as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was huge, full of beautiful paintings and art. People from all around would come just to see this temple. And it was bigger, four times bigger than the Parthenon in Athens, Greece. This was a huge temple. And Artemis herself was a goddess that we sometimes refer to as Diana. And so we might, you might have heard like this goddess Diana, same, same goddess. This was a strong woman god, and she would guarantee the safety of life for your expectant babies. She was celibate. She didn't need a man to uh, get her through life, and her culture elevated her for that. In fact, Artemis created a culture that elevated females over the male gender. This was very unusual for the early world. And so that became a, a pull, an attraction for people who wanted to know, especially for the female culture or for the female uh, um, uh, folks around, they wanted to, to, to worship this god Artemis. Very attractive culture for different people, but not for Christianity, not for Christians, because Christians worshiped a god who was male and who had a male son. And so Christians were not highly regarded in the city of Ephesus. In fact, some of them were seen as trying to unseat the goddess Artemis. And we actually have a story in the book of Acts where a man named Demetrius, who owned a silver mine making making models of this goddess, rose up and created a riot against Paul and the other Christians. Well, the Ephesian culture was radically different from all other cultures around it. But yet the church continued to grow. Culture was also extremely immoral. Um, The Ephesians people had many unplanned pregnancies because of the immoral culture. And Artemis, although she would guarantee you the safety of your birth if you were going to have a baby, uh, she could not stop the pregnancy. And so as a result of that, Uh, there were a lot of unwanted pregnancies. So the Ephesian authorities began to make a law and they decided that because of this influx of, of babies, they would allow people to leave their babies on the side of the road. They would allow them to leave them out, be exposed and perhaps die. People were doing this so much so that the Ephesian government made a hillside on the outside of the city called the baby dump. And people could take their babies out there, unwanted babies, leave them there. If the baby 
was exposed and ended up dying, that actually was a good thing because the other alternative is that the baby would get picked up by slave traders who would raise them and use them in the slave trade. Ephesian Christians, once converting to Christianity, once learning what it really means to love each other and to love God, were torn apart by this practice. And the Ephesian Christians decided to take it upon themselves to go to the hillside and they would scoop up these abandoned babies and bring them in as their own. And the Ephesian Christian church had a lot of uh, large population of little infant babies because of this practice. Paul knows this. And if you've ever read the book of Ephesians, you're probably thinking, why does Paul talk about adoption so much in the book of Ephesians? Well, now you know why. In fact, in Ephesians 1 verse 4, right at the get-go, Paul launches in. He says, in love, Christ predestined, uh, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Paul, the apostle, knows this is a practice of these Christian Ephesian believers. And in writing this right at the front of the book, he commends them for the love that they're showing to people they don't even know to bring in these babies and take them in as their own. These converts, these these converted followers of Artemis, now followers of Jesus Christ, living as best they could to impact their culture and to show love and grace. They were doing, they were, they were creative in the way that they were using their gifts. They were creative in the way that they were being the church to their culture. Jesus had gone to rescue them when they were left out and abandoned because of sin and certain destruction awaited them. Jesus brought them in and adopted them as his own. Discarded and defiled by sin, God has adopted us as his church. And so Paul speaks a common language that the Ephesians would know to give us a truth that we are a part of this family of God. Then he launches into this idea of calling. I think because he is impacted by the way this Ephesian church has come up with creative ways to live out their Christianity in real time. Paul says to them, bravo, keep going, live out your calling. You have been called to be sons and daughters of God. Live it out daily. You see, calling is basically anything that God asks us to do. And for these Christians in Ephesus, they were coming up with all kinds of ways to show God's love. This takes us to where Paul breaks down this idea of calling for us in Ephesians chapter 4. Look in 4 and verse 1. This is our main passage and I love this verse. Therefore, prisoner of the Lord, Paul writes, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This is an active phrase. Walk worthy of the calling by which you have been called. Choose to live out your calling. In fact, in the first verse of the next chapter, Paul would say, you know what? Here's here's what it's like. Be imitators of God as beloved children. He uses the same phrase, children, because he knows they get it. They're sacrificing to save these children. He says, you know what we are to be like in our calling? Imitators of God. So I have a plan. I have a, an activity for you this morning. Would you just stand up? Take the blanket off of you. Hopefully you're, you're okay. Uh, take the blanket off of you. Stand up. And here's what I want you to do, all right? And if, if you don't want to stand up, you, you can do it sitting down, all right? All right, here we go. You ever play Simon Says? 
All right, Simon Says. Here we go. You know how to play Simon Says. Everybody up. Everybody up. All right, let's play Simon Says. Simon Says, raise your right hand. All right. Simon Says, raise your left hand. Good. Simon Says, shake your left hand around. All right, you can put him down. Ah, did I get you? Yeah, see, that's Simon Says. We understand that. This is a basic illustration that Paul helps us understand that we should be imitating God like little beloved children. In other words, what you see God's heart do, your heart should be doing. What you see God's eyes compassionate toward, your eyes should be compassionate toward. What you see God loving, you should love. And what you see him hating, you should hate. We are to be imitators of God like beloved children. Imitation is whenever we see something in somebody else that we want to do ourselves. And the greatest imitation we can be of God, church, the greatest imitation we can be of God is when we love one another. Look at this verse, the very next verse. After he says, be imitators of God, he says, walk in what? Walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant and sacrifice, fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Our calling is to walk in an attitude of love toward one another and toward God, just as God did toward us. Then he says, I, as a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This is a passive idea. The first one was active. Imitate God. Walk in a manner worthy. But the second one is passive. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In other words, this has nothing to do with us. God did everything necessary to reach out and adopt us as his own. We are sin slaves. We are without any, uh, without any effort at all. We demonstrate that we are slaves to sin on a regular basis. It wasn't until Jesus came gave his life on the cross, what we celebrated last Good Friday, rose from the dead on Easter, that we are able to come to him and ask his forgiveness for our sins. Only Jesus can forgive sin because only Jesus was holy. All the rest of us are the same. We are sinners who need to be rescued. Jesus has come. He has scooped us out of the pits of sin and hell, and he has promised us eternal life. He has bought us with a great price and welcomed us in as his own. This is why Paul says, I am a prisoner. Look at what he says. Therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of which, uh, worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul can't ignore it. He can't suppress it. He can't overplay it. God's love captivates Paul to the point where he is a prisoner to have to serve God, to walk in a manner worthy of his calling. He goes on to urge us to do the same with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Paul's calling that he talked about this Christian calling is every Christian's calling. No one person is called individually into God's family. We are called to become a part of a great family of God. 
Every part that is called in is as important as the other part. So be humble, gentle, patient when we bear with one another in love, because you will most certainly meet people that are not like you in the church. I guarantee it. I'm guessing you probably already have met people that are not like you in the church. But the beauty of the church is the eclectic family character. In the church, we get along. Why? Because it is out of love for God. It is out of love for what Jesus has done for us. And so we bear one another's burdens. We care for one another. We love one another. Not because it's easy, because sometimes it just isn't. But we do it because this is what God did for us. We are all adopted into one family. I don't come in and I'm the star of the show. I come in as one adopted child with you and with someone else who knows Christ as our Savior. And together we make up the family of God. Verse 4. Then he harps on this unity. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. See it there? One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. This calling uh, brings us in and makes us one. One in the way that we are passionate about completing the mission of Jesus Christ. Well, there are three ways we can understand our calling. Christian calling is what we've been talking about so far. The Christian calling is simply this. It's what God asks every Christian to do. This is walking in a manner worthy of the calling we all have received. Don't walk in a way that demonstrates that you have been called to less than God Almighty's family. Walk in a manner worthy of being in God's family. Put off the things that you need to put off. Put on the things that you need to put on. We are called to be a part of the family of Almighty God. When I grew up in my church, uh, my dad, like afterwards, my brother and I would be running around the church, crawling under the, the, the chairs. We'd be jumping off the chairs. We, we were boys. It's what we did. My dad, he would often grab us and he would say, listen, that's not how Jarvis's behave. He, was, he didn't say stop it. He didn't say cut. I mean, he might have said that, but I didn't hear it. What I heard was, if you're a Jarvis, you are bearing my name. Jarvis's don't behave like that. When God calls us as Christians, he calls us to imitate himself, imitate God. And there are things that we do now because of that. And there are things we do not do. Imitate Christ. Abstain from sexual immorality. I mean, you could think of all of these things in scripture. Give thanks in all circumstances. Pray continuously. These are things that God says all Christians should be doing on a regular basis. That's your Christian calling. There's another aspect of calling. And that is your vocational calling. Look what he says. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is, like, get this, over all, through all, and in all. You get the picture? God is completely everywhere and completely in charge of everything at the same time, including everything you do from Sunday to Sunday. Whatever your vocational calling is. Whether you eat or you drink, Paul would say later on, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Our calling doesn't stop at the door of our day-to-day -day responsibilities. Our calling doesn't stop at the door to our jobs. Our calling permeates every part of our lives. 
Vocational calling is that which you do to provide for family and contribute to society. This too is a calling from God. First Corinthians 7, 17 says it this way, every person should lead the life the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. It's interesting, this idea of calling doesn't just stay with, okay, you're a Christian here, but at the job you can be somebody different. No, 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 no. You are called to be a Christian. You are called to, to behave a certain way, to do certain things, to put off and put on certain things, both in your personal life and in your vocational life. Our vocational call is meant to be the path for us to show the love of God to others as well. You can live out your calling at your vocation, at your job, at your day-to-day job in some way. Now, you might say to yourself, oh, Craig, I can't. I can't even say, I can't even talk about God at my job. That's not what it's talking about. The magic isn't, isn't in telling everybody you're a Christian. The magic is in imitating God daily. You imitate God in your home. You imitate God at your work. This God thing, this Christian lifestyle permeates every part of our lives. I had a friend who was gifted as an auto mechanic, and he would take it upon himself to change my oil constantly. This was such a huge blessing because he would say, okay, your car needs an oil change. Here, give me, give me your keys. He'd go change my car oil and bring it back for, for the evening service, so Sunday night service. Such a blessing because he was mechanically minded. If I needed something done on the car, he would he would say, I'll do it or I can refer you to somebody that will do it. He never let me get ripped off by mechanics. He was wonderful. Why? Because his vocation allowed him to bless my family, to bless me in certain ways. Now, I'm not saying we need to do this free of charge. I'm not saying any of that. I'm not saying that if you if you have a vocation where you can bless other people, you should do it and not charge anybody. That's not it at all. But it comes down to our hearts. If you're gifted in a certain area, as you're in your vocation or, or in a certain talent that you have, why not use that to show God's love to somebody today? Paul was a tent maker. This is what he did on the side so that he could support himself in ministry. Let me ask you this question. Do you think his tents were really, really good or really, really bad? Knowing the Apostle Paul, I would say that I would buy his tent any day of the week because I know whatever he did at his job, he did for the Lord. It was going to be best. It was going to be good. Third part, verse 11. He gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers to equip saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. This is the third part of our calling. It is our spiritual calling. Our spiritual calling is that which God asked me to do to build his church. This is that which God gives me to so that I can see God's kingdom grow, to bring people into the kingdom and to help grow people who are already in the church. Now, some are gifted to be teachers and, and leaders in the church. Some are gifted to serve and help others in the church. Some are gifted to sacrifice and give to the church. Some are gifted to administrate and cover ministry details of the church. And every single part is essential. Some of you will never preach. That doesn't make you less important than me. I, I sometimes do things that, you know, 
I'm not necessarily gifted to do, but I love to see other people who are gifted do them even better. Every one of us is a piece of the body of Christ. One of the things I'm loving about this Corona virus situation that we're in right now is that we are seeing the church come together. We're seeing East come together and be the church. You guys are calling each other. We've got you in virtual community groups. You're calling, you're doing your five minute fellowship phone calls or texts. You're checking in on each other. That's great. Uh, and it's not because I don't like doing that. It's because we are supposed to be doing this all together all the time as the church. And it's wonderful to see it happen. Every person is giving a, given a specific gift that they are u- supposed to use to bless the church. Romans 12, four says this, for as in one body, we have many members. That means like an elbow or a hand or a, one body has ever uh, these different parts. And the members do not all have the same function. The elbow is not the knee. The knee is not the foot. You can understand they're all different functions. Verse five. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having the gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. In other words, every one of us has a part to play. You may be sitting there thinking to yourself, "Ah, Craig, I can't really do anything. I don't have really a big part to play. Yes, you do. God has gifted you with a special gift. And if you find out how to use that, you can be a huge blessing to people around you in ways that you maybe not have experienced yet. Some of you already are. And I want you to know when I see you use your gifts to bless somebody else, you bless my heart. No gift unifies the kingdom. No gift is more important than the other. They are all essential. The reason I preach is because that's why I'm, that's the way I'm, well, I think that's the way I'm gifted. You may be asleep by now and you may not agree with that, but I teach because I think that's the way I'm gifted. I, I, these are the gifts that I use. But when I see people working in different areas of the church, I see the gifts that they're using and they are just as important as I am to the health and well-being of that church. A sea captain and his chief engineer were arguing over who was more important to the ship. To prove their point to each other, they decided to swap places. The chief engineer ascended to the bridge and the captain went to the engine room. Several hours later, the captain suddenly appeared on deck covered with oil and dirt. Chief, he yelled, waving a monkey wrench above his head. Chief, you have to get down here. We can't make her go. Of course you can't, replied the chief. She's aground. <laughs> Every person is given a specific gift meant to be used in a specific area of the church. And in Jesus' church, we don't excel each other. We depend on each other. I'll say that one more time. In God's church, we don't excel each other. We depend on each other. My gifts can only be utilized best when the gifts of others are utilized best. So find a ministry and start serving through your local church. Find your calling. Try something. Some people are not great administrators. Some are. Some people are not great speakers. Some may be someday. Some people are great with kids. Some people just should always stick with adults. (laughs) Try something. Fine-tune something. Be willing to try new things and then test and see what you may like, where God might be stretching you in your gifts. Fine-tune it. Read up on it. Learn more about it. Google it. Go to the Google machine. Figure out how to do best whatever it is you're trying now. And three, start something. (laughs) 
We've put a spiritual gifts test online today. Uh, and we, I think it was in our newsletter earlier. So you can click on that. Uh, just go to the hub on our main webpage. Click on the spiritual gifts test. There's like 90-some questions. It'll take you 10 to 15, well, probably 15 to 20 minutes. Uh, but then it'll give you an idea of maybe where your spiritual gifts might lie. Some of you have been wondering, all right, I'm willing to try something, but I just don't know what I really like. This will help you figure out what you really like and what you might not want to stick around and, and try. Find your spiritual calling. Pay attention to your passions. Do what you like. I hear so many people say, well, God's going to make me do this because I don't like it. That's not what God does. God gives you a love in your heart for whatever he's called you to. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy all the time, but you will have a sense of fulfillment. You'll have a passion for whatever that thing is. Listen and observe for fruitfulness. Are you bearing fruit? Is this going well? Don't rely on physical sight first, but try and see what God is doing to bear fruit. Maybe it's fruit in your own life. You're falling deeper in love with him. You're being a better example of him. Or maybe it's fruit in other people's life. Watch out for affirmation, number three. Watch what people are saying, because people will come to us who have the spirit of God and they'll say, you know, you did a good job at that. You should keep doing that. That might be an idea as to what you would like to do, how you would like to serve in the church. Watch for open doors. Jump through them when they come. My wife and I have made it a practice to at least push on every door that looks like it's opening in our lives. Some of them slam shut, but it's amazing to me how many of them open just because in faith we're willing to give it a little nudge. I don't know what God has for our future. I don't pretend to know anymore. <laughs> he surprised me enough times. But every open door that I see, I want to just push on it and see if that might be a new way God wants to use me to bless him and bless others. And do something now. Until God moves you to something else, do something now. Remember, we had these difficult lessons from Moses. Moses was a great example of this. Spiritual ministry is not always easy. Moses had to put up with these crazy people. He had to put up with this, uh, this, the, the, these people that would not obey God and didn't like him a whole lot. But his calling stayed the same. He was to be their leader and to take them to the promised land. So spiritual ministry is not always easy. And you may find a few crazy people around you when you try and do your ministry too. Don't give up. Keep serving. Spiritual ministry will definitely require obstacles. Figuring out how you good you are at something, you are going to have to climb over some obstacles. Moses had to deal with elders that were angry with him. Moses had to deal with Pharaoh, whose heart was hard. It wasn't easy. And sometimes God puts obstacles into our paths to sharpen our skills and make us better so that we can be prepared for what comes next. The last thing is reaping rewards always requires resolve. Don't give up. Don't just give up. Keep trying. Moses kept on keeping on. And because of that church, he got to spend time with God face to face. Oh, that must have been the highlight of his calling. But because he was faithful in his calling, God gave him amazing rewards. And church, I'm here to tell you, if your resolve is to fulfill your calling for God, God has great rewards around the corner for you as well. So I bring you to the last two verses. Speak the truth in love. Grow up every way into him who is the head, even to Christ. Why make all this effort 
because I must keep growing. One of the things in coronavirus that I'm seeing all the time is you can turn on uh, Facebook or the television and there's now all these commercials about how you keep fit while you're at home. Can you imagine somebody that just decides, I'm just going to stay in bed. I'm going to, uh, uh, I'm going to get uh, DoorDash to deliver my food. I'm not going to exercise. I'm just going to watch TV the whole time, not open the shades. I'm just going to wait this thing out. And once it's over, I will emerge. <laughs> Can you imagine what they would look like even after this amount of time? You let yourself completely go. <laughs> what would you look like after two months? Well, your hair might look a lot like this. How would you feel when you finally get out of bed? Awful. You'd feel, why? Because that's not the way we are created to function. And church, if you were called by God, if you're a Christian, you are called by God. Every Christian is called to serve. This is how we were meant to function. You were created for interaction, for movement, for brain activity. And just like your spiritual life, you are created to bless God and bless others, to use your gifts to grow, not just around the waist, <laughs> but to grow spiritually strong. As each part serves, we make a complete whole church. So we've all got to grow so that together we can grow as a church. 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which with which it is equipped. When each part, get this church, when each part is working properly, see that? Makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Using my gifts brings not only personal growth, but it brings mutual growth. What is the product of my gifts? What am I looking to produce when I use my gifts? Simple, learning to love each other more is the product of using our gifts. It's as simple as that. If you use your gifts and love is not the final product, you are, as 1 Corinthians 13 puts it, a clanging gone or a resounding, uh, a resounding symbol, something that is irritating to the ears. Whitney Houston sings a song, learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. Mm, I think she missed it a little bit there. Because Christ would say, learning to love others is the greatest love of all. In fact, he would say, greater love has this, that you would lay down your life for your friends. Two greatest commandments, love God with your whole heart, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. These, this Ephesian church was doing this. They were adopting these babies. They were, they were stretching themselves financially so that they wouldn't see these babies abandoned on the hillside. Doesn't that strike you as amazing? They were figuring out new ways to be the church in a culture that needed to see love. But I'm here to tell you, 40 years later, you will hear about Ephesus again. In the book of Revelation, chapter 2, John the Apostle writes about this church at Ephesus. The angel speaks to John and says, you've got to get a hold of these people. They have lost it. And in Ephesians 2, they are still using their, listen, church, they're still using their gifts. They're still busy. In fact, they're commended for all the work that they are doing. Bravo, keep it up. But you've done something very, very bad 
You've forgotten something along the way. You've forgotten why you use your gifts. They forgot the product. Revelation 2 verse 4, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. This is God speaking to the Ephesus church. Forty years after Paul writes to them, this is how God speaks to them. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, do the works you did at first. Do you understand this verse a lot better now, church? Do the works you did at first. For if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Whatever gifts you have are meant to be used out of love for Christ and the church. If you can't use your gifts in love, don't use them at all. <laughs> Ephesus did all these things at the beginning out of love, used their gifts to bless, to show love, to pour out grace that had been poured on them to these little babies and these families in their communities. But 40 years later, they forgot. They kept on doing the same stuff, but there wasn't any love in what they did. And apparently, God would rather just build his kingdom without their gifts at all. Because he told them to repent or he would get rid of them. Serving with our gifts is how the church grows. Church, you can do this. <laughs> you can do this. You may be sitting there thinking to yourself, oh, Craig, this is a heavy sermon. I don't, I don't know. How am I supposed to get creative about using my gifts to love my neighbors and love my family? Well, receiving it. In humility is the first step. And then understanding you have the power to do this already. If you've been called by God, God is itching. He is chomping at the bit to put you into play. Second Corinthians 4 says this, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You have the power to do this because the power is not in you. It's in God. It's not in us, but he sure loves working through us. It'll take faith for you to hit the on button. <laughs> I get it. It'll take faith, but you should do it soon. Because you don't know what tomorrow brings. I don't know what tomorrow brings. I need to begin to see what God can do through my life now, today. When I let him develop and use my gifts to love and bless others.